0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The parable of the Good Samaritan from Luke's Gospel is a well-known parable. In the first place, it's a familiar name. People that have never read the Bible or been to church at least know that there is such a thing somewhere called a Good Samaritan. You see hospitals and clinics that take this name, and with good reason. The story fits what hospitals and medical clinics are clinics are there to do. The parable of the Good Samaritan is also a beautiful parable. It's what the Christian ethos looks like, what our Christian ethic, how we live. It's the very picture of it, isn't it? one of the best stories to go to. The icon of charity. Who isn't moved by a story when you read about it or see it on the news or even in person, a story about somebody who is in a dire physical need and somebody goes out of their way to stop and show compassion to them, to help them, to give of themselves for the sake of the other. You would have to work really hard, I think, to read or hear this parable and then not remember it not be able to summarize it, at least in short, what it is about. You would have to work even harder to know this parable and not be deeply moved in your compassion by it. But that does not stop some people from misunderstanding and misapplying the parable of the good Samaritan. Taken just by themselves... Many of the parables of Jesus can easily be misunderstood. They can be easily misread to teach this. You are saved by what you do. You are made right with God by how you live toward other people. Consider the parable of the talents. Of course, you know it well. The Lord, or the master rather, gives pieces of money to several of his servants and goes away and then comes back and judges them based off of what? What they did with what they were given. Of course, the rich man and Lazarus. Works aren't mentioned explicitly, but it seems that the rich man is condemned, at least on the surface, just for being rich and looking over Lazarus, and Lazarus is saved seemingly just because, well, he was there and in a bad way. And of course, then you have the good Samaritan. It's told in response to a question about what one must be to do to be saved. And then Jesus tells this story about this is what you do for other people when they are in need, or this is what this guy does, and you go and do likewise. But of course, we know that the parables themselves, whether the ones I mentioned or all the rest, are not standalone islands from which we get. All doctrine from as if the whole picture is contained inside of that parable but rather each one of these parables these stories that Jesus told to illustrate something was well to illustrate a part of the truth all of them are inside of the greater context that we are saved by God's grace through faith to put it this way the same Jesus who told these stories, these illustration parables about how we should live is the same Jesus who at the pinnacle of his career, at the pinnacle of his ministry, died on the cross as a sacrifice for sins and pointed to that sacrifice when he instituted his supper, the blood which was shed for forgiveness. And who pointed to that sacrifice when he instituted baptism, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Of course, it is the whole picture of this. So no, the parables, they are not a comprehensive picture of justification. Rather, they are a picture of the justified life. It answers the question, you are a Christian, what now? You are a Christian, how should you now live? But I'm willing to guess that that Confusion is not as much of a problem for us here as Lutherans, right? If there's something we do get right, and get very clearly that we are saved by grace through faith through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And if you have any confusion about that, CEC starts very soon and we have a few seats still available. We are Lutherans. But I think that we're pulled maybe perhaps in our time and place in a different direction of misunderstanding when it comes to this and other parables. The problem we're pulled to isn't the question of why all of this stuff, or why do we do the good that is taught us to do in the parables, but rather, who? Who do we do it for? Our works of sacrifice, of charity, of care and love? Who is to be the recipient of these things? Maybe not us here, but I think there are many people to where that is the confusion. You just heard the parable, so I won't belabor the point, but give a brief summary. The man was robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. He needed help, immediate help. The priest walks by, the Levite walks by. You might as well translate it into the pastor and the district president for our language. People that should have known better about God's command to love neighbor, they had nothing to do with him, but then someone comes along and he gives of his time and his energy, He puts off whatever he was going to to do and stops and helps this complete stranger. And the icing on the cake, of course, is it wasn't a fellow Jew. It was a Samaritan who helped him. Now, the story, of course, is what it is. But people have a tendency now, and believe me, they do, I and kind of involved more in the theological world than many people and what I read and whatever, and they focus in... Uniquely and specifically on certain details of that, namely the fact that it was a Samaritan, the fact that it was a foreigner, to use our parlance, who took the time to stop and help the stranger. Now, to be clear, that is an important detail, and to a degree, it's a driving point of the parable the fact that it wasn't just somebody he didn't know, but somebody outside of the nation of Judah who did it, a separated brother from the northern tribes. It is a driving point. Jesus says, of course, also, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, especially those awful Samaritans. But that isn't the true north. That isn't the foundation of this parable and the detail upon which we ought to build everything that we think and do flowing from this parable on. But the reality is, in the time and place that we live, many people try and do just that the interpretation I've heard more times than I can count is that because of the parable of the Good Samaritan, we shouldn't have borders. We shouldn't have borders for our country. And the degree to which we have immigration law, well, the Christian thing to do is to ignore it, they say. Let everybody come in and join the party and be just like us. After all, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I suppose it sounds kind of nice to a degree. Who doesn't want to share good things with other people, especially those people that don't have what? Well, we have. But we do live in the real world, a real world in which there is scarcity. There is not enough space, finally, for everybody in the van, and that is something that we must deal with when we make and enforce our laws in this country. In reality, There are reasonable, godly limits to charity. An example that I was kicking around in my head is if there is another flood, I guess not if, but when there is another flood, and let's just say several members of Calvary, Watsika, are without a home at least temporarily, we got plenty of space in the parsonage. We'd be glad to put a few people up. But if the whole congregation comes to my door and says, Pastor, we're going to live with you for three weeks, I will have to say no, because it is impossible. There are limits inside of God's creation and God's world, and we want to love as many people as we reasonably can, but that's the thing, reasonably can. We cannot love everybody and everybody equally. We, to be blunt, are not God. We are mortal humans with limited time, energy, and resources. There are godly limits the scriptures also say whoever sees somebody in his own household in need but does not care and provide for them that person is worse than an unbeliever okay the epistles say this if you see someone close to your own kin and you can help but you don't you're worse than an unbeliever it says and jesus of course says love your neighbor as yourself and also speaks of the church and our witness to the world see how they Love one another. These are all statements about loving others, but you have to recognize inside of these statements, there are limits. There are constrictions. There is sort of an outward boundary, apart from outside of which it sort of understands you can't go. You love your family members. You love your close neighbors. You love the members of your church because, well, they're the ones next to you. If you see the Good Samaritan parable as a template for foreign policy and foreign aid and just simply how you are to live your life toward every human being, seven billion or whatever it is on this planet, well, then there is no end and really you can drive a truck through that and not have enough at the end of the day. But rather, if you recognize the actual point of this parable and the point that I want you to take home today with you, you'll see it. This parable is not about trying to love the whole world, but rather this parable teaches us who should we love? The neighbor God has placed right in front of us. That's what it's teaching us. That's how it actually makes sense for how to go out and say, the Good Samaritan parable, how should I live? If there's somebody close to me that has a need, that's the person I should help the person that God has placed in my path, the person who is in need, not across the country, not across the world, first and foremost, but first and foremost, right here. And who has God placed before us? Apart from family, our coworkers, our community, our church, brothers and sisters, don't you see the person before us on the road, The one robbed and in need, not necessarily robbed, but the one certainly in need, are you, and you, and you, each to the other, the people you know in your life. Those are the people that God would have you live in loveless, sacrificial, self-giving service toward, generously toward. It's not that you can't or shouldn't love people that are far away or do things for them. That's fine, but only secondary to the person on the side of the road in front of you, your neighbor. There's an illustration that I think really captures this, and I almost had Ben put it on the bulletin cover uh, just to drive home the point, but I'll describe it to you instead. It was talking about the trouble of, uh, what was it? Um, Oh, I can't remember the term, but essentially the term was uh, looking past the people in front of you to help people over there, and it shows a woman with a telescope looking, and she sees people in dire need way over there. And who's tugging at her dress but poor, needy children right next to her. She sees the glamorous opportunity or the exciting opportunity of people's needs over there while she neglects the people that are right in front of her who need that help. Her own children, her neighbor's children, her community, doesn't matter, but the people close on the side of the road went unnoticed while she had her mind and vision focused elsewhere. And one more example, I used these during the announcements when I tried to clean up the sermon a little bit last night, but I remembered and put them in the sermon today. How many of you here have volunteered at a food pantry in Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Of course, none of you have, or if you have, that's kind of an interesting story and I'd like to hear it. It's not that you don't care about the people in Sioux Falls. I'm sure you do, and if you move to Sioux Falls, I bet people of Calvary would help out there. But a lot of us here have helped out of the food pantry and other charitable opportunities here in town. Why? These are the neighbors God has placed us with. This is the place that God has placed us to love first and foremost, and we move everything out from there. So I guess in summary I would say this, let's get the who of the parables right, the who of the Good Samaritan, and of course the who of all the rest of the parables. Who should we love, our closest neighbors, and then let it go forth from there. We have hearts as Christians that have been made glad by the fact that we don't have to work and earn our own salvation. God's given it to us as a gift. And so we can freely, and without constraints, and rather without something just looking over our shoulder, making sure God's paying attention, we can love our neighbor as somebody that has already been given eternity forever. We can love our neighbor because it helps him when he's in need. We can love our neighbor because it shows who we belong to as Christians. And finally, we can love our neighbor because it reflects the goodness and the love and the truth of the Jesus who has loved us when we were in such dire straits ourselves. To the same Jesus Christ be all glory, honor, worship, and praise now and forever. Amen.